there is not a more famous or beloved psalm than Psalm 23. We use it at so many significant events in our life, and weddings, memorial services, gravesides, and we graveside ceremonies, and we these words begin to kind of embody emotions. As soon as we hear them, we may think about a past experience. Or they may just get kind of so familiar that they lose their impact and, and lose kind of how they affect our lives. And the human language, the English language is like that. Words kind of lose meaning after a while. Phrases lose meaning. I was thinking about different phrases that are familiar with, uh, with us and we, that we know well. And there are so many that came through my mind. But one really odd one came to my mind. Came to my mind. It's the phrase finger licking good. It's a a terrible phrase, isn't it? I mean, who in the world wants to go to a restaurant where people are licking their fingers? I would avoid that restaurant at all costs. The worst marketing slogan ever. But evidently, a long time ago, somewhere in the 1940s or 1950s, in Kentucky... The fried chicken was so good, people licked their fingers. Oh, isn't that, isn't that odd to feel? So that, that phrase has kind of lost or taken on a new definition. Let's put it that way. I want us to take a step back and allow Psalm 23 to speak to us in a fresh way. After the first service, one of, one of the ladies in our church, who, who is maybe one of the oldest ladies in this church, she came up to give me a compliment the grandmothers of the church are always so great at giving compliments. Thank God for them. All you young people want to just go grab your babies and leave, you know, but thank God for the grandmas. If I stand around long enough, they'll give me a good compliment. And honestly, I do appreciate that. But she, she did say something nice about the sermon, but she began, began the compliment by saying this. She said, now, Aaron, I've heard a lot of sermons on Psalm 23, as you could imagine. And so that, that made, me, made me think about this. I guess maybe you've even heard a lot of sermons on this, but, but I'm really enthusiastic about sharing with you what God is, wants to communicate today. D- David wrote this song to express how God cared about him. And he, he started thinking about his life. And we know from Scripture that David was... Uh, under shepherd under his father Jesse and so when he started thinking about God's care for him he, he said something that at the time probably wasn't poetic and probably didn't have uh, th- this type of uh, sentimental kind of communication that we feel today he just said the Lord is my shepherd the Lord is my shepherd just like I used to shepherd sheep God shepherds me and then if I was retitling this sermon I would say The Lord is my shepherd and host. Because that's the second part of the song. He says, the Lord's my host. He's invited me over for dinner. And this was one of the primary things that David did as king. So as shepherd, he watched the sheep. But as king, one of his primary roles was to open the palace and to invite guests in. This was not your simple hospitality that that we would associate with today. When David invited someone, the king invited someone into his house, into his table, he was saying, you are under 
my provision. You're under my protection. You are at a seat of esteem. You are at a seat of honor. So in this case, David was reflecting on his relationship with God. And Psalm 23 is not so much a prayer. It's not saying, God, would you do this? It is, God, you have done this. And God, because you've been my shepherd... And because you've been my host, I have this confidence and expectation as I project my future that what you've done in the past, God, you're going to do again. It's actually a faith-building, Christ-exalting, powerful declaration of who God has been and who God will be in your life. Now, in this case, David is no longer the shepherd. He's one of the sheep. And David is no longer the king or the host. He is the guest. And God Almighty, our Savior, is the one who is the shepherd and he is, a, he is the host for us. And so here's my first observation today. With God as my shepherd, with God as my host, I have contentment. Would you write that down? Would you write it on your heart? Contentment is such an important powerful spiritual principle that we overlook. In fact, I would dare say that some of us associate weakness with contentment because we believe that in order for us to succeed, for us to reach the American dream, we have to have a drive, we have to have a passion. And sometimes we see that in in culture, uh, certain leaders are profiled and they're ruthless. They're, they are determined. I'm going to succeed at any cost. And they have this kind of drive about them. And we think we have to mimic that drive. And because of that, we wrongly believe contentment is a sign of weakness. But I want you to see today that contentment is a sign of great strength and power in your life. I believe it's one of the overlooked, underappreciated spiritual principles and because of that the enemy is thriving on sowing discontentment into our hearts and spirit and it's causing all kinds of havoc in our life it's causing all kinds of disruptions reread verse one through three with me the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want that's a bold statement because god is looking after me There's going to be a satisfaction within me. There's going to be a place of contentment. There's going to be a place of acceptance of where I am in life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. That's what God does. This lack of contentment in our life is causing so many vulnerabilities. Do you know that when we're discontent, it's when we're vulnerable to many of the attacks of the enemy. I'm always fascinated by the Bernie Madoff story. I've watched some of those made-for-TV movies on the Bernie Madoff story, and what's fascinating about it is it has been repeated in American history year after year after year after year. In fact, there was a guy named Ponzi one time who originated the Ponzi scheme. And we've all been exposed to our part of something like that. And what happens is this, is that we are given an opportunity to make quick, easy, almost unbelievable money. And what happens is our discontentment makes us vulnerable to predators. Our discontentment and our 
our, our discontentment makes us vulnerable for those who will take advantage of your trusting self or the part of you who, who maybe um, finds satisfaction in material wealth or who wants to take the short, easy way to financial progress. And this lack of contentment opens our hearts up to vulnerabilities, opens our hearts up to, to the wrong types of attitude towards our family. When we begin to compare our kids to other kids, that's just not a healthy thing to do. When we begin to evaluate our marriage based off what we see on television or the movies, that is, that is not the type of model that God wants us to have. God wants us to go to his scripture. God wants us to go to the faith community. God wants us to be in relationship with others. When we're single and we wrongly believe that the answer to our, our emptiness or the answer to our loneliness is only going to be finding a spouse, then we're not prepared to be the spouse God wants us to be. These are all vulnerabilities that are birthed from discontentment. So starting off this song right away, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Can I tell you that, that people who have walked with the Lord for many years and who have been involved in church life and who have been involved in devotional life and who have been walking with the Lord, we should come to a place of contentment that says, God, you really are enough. You know, I don't need more material things. God, I don't need earthly acclaim. God, I, I don't need the recognition that, that my flesh desires. God, you truly are enough. And it's not easy to get there. And I'm still working on it, but you and I can work on it together. This is talking about our souls being content. Yeah, I know that we want to maybe advance professionally and we want to correct mistakes in our life and we want to work on weaknesses in our life and we want to uh, have moral strength in our life and not just to give in to uh, propensities to do wrong. That's progress. But within our progress, there should be an anchor of contentment. Within our, our drive to, in our appropriate drive to be all that God wants us to be, our souls should be anchored and content in our relationship with him. And so he leads us to green pastures. And green pastures here are not just uh, places to eat. They're places of cool and refreshing rest. Does that not sound good? A place of rest. And that's part of what contentment is, is you finding rest in your inner man. Your inner person finding this sense of satisfaction, this sense of arrival, this sense of no matter what circumstance I'm going to face, that because of my relationship with God and everything, every other relationship, every other identity flows from that relationship, that my, my life, I'm in green pastures. I'm at a cool, safe place. I'm at a place where I can reflect. I'm at a place where I can um, look about who I am, not just what I do. One of the concerns I have is we're always so preoccupied with what we do, what we do, that we don't give enough reflection on who we are. In social settings, these are the questions we ask. We ask, well, what do you do? And there's not really a good way, for me, if I've not really found a good way in small talk to, to ask someone, so how's your character, what's your character like? You know? So I'm not picking on, on some of our social graces. I mean, we have to do that, but we know that's a leading point. And then after we see someone, we quickly say, well, 
they look great. Well, maybe they look great, but their soul is rotten. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, as, as believers, sometimes we're so preoccupied with people's physical appearance that we don't even have Holy Spirit discernment on what's happening on the inside. And we, 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 we are not even discerning their character because charisma has, has, has blinded us. And, and we, 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 we celebrate, we, adula, we, we, we lift up things that are, are secondary and should not as matter as much to us. We go to these green pastures and we find this cool, this refreshing place. Contentment takes work. Contentment requires discipline. Commitment, uh, contentment will not occur without consistent reflection. Yet, contentment is a gift from God. And it's a gift twice given. Because when I receive contentment from God, and I receive that grace, even though I take steps to cultivate it, I receive that grace in my life. That contentment that I receive from God is a, is a gift to Beth, and it's a gift to Luke, and it's a gift to, to Lincoln, and my sister Shelby, my nephews, and it's a gift to my church family. That, that's, that's what it is. Your hard work at contentment is a gift to your family and it's a gift to people you love. And so we talk about still waters. This literally means a quiet flow in our life. There's a quiet flow, the still waters. So I want to talk about two different extremes. There's turbulent waters. That's rushing waters that are loud and imposing and dangerous. Often think about those waters like the suburbs. I've grown up in the suburbs. And it's a busy, busy place we live. Go, go, go. Busy, busy, busy. We have youth sports and civic meetings and traffic. Yes, we have traffic here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We have traffic in Gallatin. It's getting worse and worse. Now, I like traffic in some ways as far as I'm not intimidated by it. In fact, I've driven at rush hour in Manhattan, and I thought it was kind of fun. It was kind of like a video game. It was a challenge for me. So I've been in some other situations that were kind of intense with traffic, and I thought it was kind of cool and kind of fun. You think traffic at rush hour in Manhattan is bad. Try going to Drake's Creek Park during baseball season. Man, yesterday I went to see... Austin's and Denton's teams play and man we were there and I was there and getting out of that parking lot I felt like my life was at risk man cars and kids and people were coming from every angle no flow no direction it's crazy guys it's crazy so we're busy 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 this is how we are we're always at this really hyper pace and we're going and we're going and we're going so that's kind of life in the suburbs and then the other extreme would be a stagnant body of water where there's no flow in, there's no flow out. And so you, you get something that produces uh, something unappealing, something that smells bad, that has algae and fungus that's inappropriate, not good. And I think about parts of most cities that, that have prostitution and has sex trafficking and drugs that seem to go unchecked by the municipalities and those places are, are stagnant places where there's no flow of the life of God. There seems to be no flow of progress or no flow of wholesomeness. And, and those places aren't good either. But here, God says, I'm leading you to still waters. A quiet flow in our life. 
a place where, where we can receive refreshment. The reason God's people often find themselves in need of spiritual refreshment is because we walk in a world that's very rearing and exhausting. So in this passage, David acknowledge, acknowledges that, yes, that life will go to green pastures and still waters, but we also will We'll have difficult times. Life isn't always about green pastures. It's not always about still waters. We also will walk through times of darkness and times of gloom. I've been a vocational pastor for 23 years now. And what a joy that has been. But I've had dark seasons even as a pastor. These seasons there was spiritual fruit. There were moves of the Holy Spirit. There were sermons, many sermons given during these times when God was moving and people's lives were changed. But I was in a dark place. Sometimes there were decisions I made and sometimes they were just circumstances of life. Tough stuff that our family was going through. Challenges that we had in health and challenges we had in, in deaths and so forth and so on. And so we, we recognize in the middle of this relationship with God where God's caring for us. I'm so glad that the, the psalmist David tells us, yeah, there, there's this green pasture and there's these still waters. But there's also times when you're going to go through tough times. You're going to go through the valley. You're going to go through the dark points. You're going to go through a time where you really need the leadership of the shepherd during those times. Courage to persevere. Courage to hope. Courage some of us need just to get out of bed in the morning. And I, I want some of you to know this is that some of you would be embarrassed or you wouldn't want, want people to know what a challenge it is even to get out of bed in the morning. But the Lord is compassionate towards you. And the Lord says that he's going to get you through this season. He's going to get you through this time. That he's with you. And every day that that's a tough choice to get up and face the day. His presence is with you. His presence is on you. And he is your companion during that dark season and that dark time. It takes a need for courage to stay positive. You know, anyone can be negative. It's really, really easy to be negative. It doesn't take someone with a lot of creativity to point out the negative or to point out the challenge, but it takes someone with courage to point out the positive, to point out the potential, to see how God can work in a circumstances that's not preferred, not invited, or not expected. And these, these types of eyes of vision are what are needed when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, when you're passing through unfamiliar ground that's dark and deep and lonely and isolated. And you are in those times, and those are the times that you have to have something more than just another sentimental phrase or another tired, worn-out slogan or another kind of uh, frivolous song that just talks about God and just kind of this bubblegum, casual kind of way. You need a presence. You need a friend. You need a companion. You need a fighter. You need someone who's going to be there with you when the person who is closest to you can't be there with you. You need someone that you can rely on when the person that maybe you wanted to rely on, they're not available. Maybe they're off at war. Maybe they're off at work. Maybe that they're just in a season in their life where they can't walk with you. Can I tell you this? Is that you have a shepherd. 
and you have a friend. And this is not something just to put on a plaque. This is not something just to knit a nice little thing. The Lord is my shepherd. This is a powerful promise of God. It's the presence of God that is embedded in you, that is with you. And it's a promise of God that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So because the Lord is my shepherd, write it down, I have courage. Guys, I know this is that there are many fears in this place. There are as many fears as the count of people that are present. Because every single one of us are dealing with a fear, and many of us are dealing with multiple fears. And that's why we need God as a shepherd. That's why we need God as a host. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And look what we underlined on the screen. For you are with me. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are with me. Your presence, your friendship, your companionship, your protection, your favor, your blessing, they are with me, not just in the convenient times, not just in the times when we're being celebrated, not when the times when we're getting acclaim and popularity. The presence of the Lord is with us in the darkest hour of the night. The presence of the Lord is with us in the most challenging sickness. The presence of the Lord is with us in the most uh, difficult, unexpected relational challenge. The presence of the Lord is with us in unemployment. The presence of the Lord is with us when the checkbook is in the negative. The presence of the Lord is with us when we don't know how to pay for the next trip our kid's going on. The presence of the Lord is with us when we don't know who to turn to. Because every counselor and every specialist and every doctor and everyone who has a degree behind their name, they don't know what to do either. That's when you need the Lord, right? That's when the Lord is there. I'm so thankful that this scripture tells us that the valley of death is not the stopping place for the children of God. It's a traveling place. It's a place we're moving through. It's a place we're passing on. It's a place we won't be in forever. I know some of us are in the valley and some of us are on the mountain today. But for every one of you who are in the valley today, can I tell you, because of God's presence and because of God's friendship, you're not staying in the valley. You're passing through. You're not gonna stay at the dark place. You're rising up. God is taking you through the place you have been to a place that he has for you that's preferred and better and he will not let you die in the valley he will be there with you so the rod what is the rod it says the rod and staff comfort me well the rod is a weapon why would the rod comfort us because the shepherd uses the rod to chase away the predator the shepherd uses the rod to chase away the enemy And so the rod is comforting to us because we know that our God is fighting for us. Our God is identifying the enemy in the shadow and he's not gonna let us get ambushed. He's not gonna let us get surprised. He's not gonna let us uh, be killed when we, we least suspect it because he's fighting for us. If you stay close to the shepherd, his rod is going to go on the attack for you and it's gonna fight back the enemy and it's gonna fight back all that's oppressing your soul. And the shepherd is for you and the shepherd will fight for you. The rod didn't just fight the weapons though. The rod was was put out and all of the sheep would pass underneath the rod because that gave a chance for the shepherd to count the sheep. And this allows us to know that we have comfort 
from the rod of God because the shepherd is looking out for us. He's looking out for us. He's counting us. He wants to make sure none of us have been lost. He wants to make sure none of us have strayed. He wants to make sure none of us have gotten away from the flock. That's the good shepherd. The good shepherd cares. The powerful anointed shepherd. The God that we serve is counting us. That means that you're never going to get away from God's reach. You're never going to get away from God's notice. You're never going to get away from God's eye. He's looking after you. He knows where you're at. Some of you have believed the lie that you're all alone, that God doesn't know where you are because you're in the shadows, but he knows where you're at. He knows exactly and he's counting and he's counting because every sheep counts everyone makes a difference no one's going to be left behind no one's going to be ambushed no one's going to be taken away because God is counting us and he's looking after our soul the staff is a long pole with a crook on the end or a hook is a better way to put that and, and it's used to round up the sheep who who have strayed along the way and I want to remind you of something, that Jesus is looking for the strays. And just because someone has strayed away, and just because someone's no longer with the flock, doesn't mean they're not a sheep. They're still a sheep to God. And God's still reaching out, and he's reaching out, and he's, he's going he's to reach out in love. And sometimes it's a discipline, and he hooks the sheep, and he yanks them back in. And sometimes he gets them out of a dangerous place. But the rod and the staff comfort us because we have a God who disciplines us, but we also have a God who reaches out and takes us back in and brings us back in. And I want us to think about, and I want to encourage you about those who have strayed away from the flock. And I want to remind you that they are still sheep, that God still has a plan for them. So, so many times we give up too easily. We let those sheep stray. One of the ministries Jesus has given us as believers is to reach out to those who are away, reach out to those who seem lost, reach out to those who have, who have, who have walked away from the, from the sheep pen or from the flock and to say, come on back home, come back to us, come back to where you're supposed to be. When we, when we marginalize the stray sheep and then we begin to accuse them and we begin to inappropriately judge them and when we, when we begin to uh, talk negatively about them in an unproductive way, then we have no ability we, we give up our ability to bring them back in. David was one who strayed. David had systematic, used systematic violence and warfare that disqualified him from building the temple. David willfully and, and, and um, methodically um, committed adultery with, with Bathsheba. He arranged to meet her. And then he took it way further, way further than almost anyone we've ever known by by arranging for her husband to be murdered, a misuse of his power that brought great injustice upon him. Yet he strayed and he was still a sheep that God brought back into the fold. And he, and he sung about the shepherd that we are talking about today. John chapter 10, Jesus says this in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. No doubt when people heard Jesus say this, they were thinking about Psalm 23. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It goes on and describes this relationship and go back later and read verse 11 through 18. It's such a powerful thing. Uh, David switches at this point from portraying the Lord as a shepherd, as I've already mentioned, portraying him as a host. Hospitality in the, in the um, Middle East is something that goes way further than most of us take. Hospitality doesn't just say, hey, come share a meal. It says, you're under my protection. 
You're here, you're in my home, I'm going to take care of you. And so what was common in, in that day is that when someone would enter a house, that they would be given oil, kind of like we would give perfume or cologne, a dabble of, of oil to, to help them as they come in from the outside. And then they were also given a glass of wine. And this was symbolizing everything in the house is yours while you're here. You, you, you have the perfume, you have the glass of wine. David said this, is that, you anoint my head with oil. In other words, it's a word picture of the oil not just being dabbled, but the oil being poured over, being poured over. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Write this down. With God as my shepherd, with God as my host, I have favor. I have favor. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. This is verse five. My cup overflows. God doesn't just give you a little dabble, a little dabble of oil. He pours all of the oil over you. God doesn't just give you just a regular cup of wine. Your cup overflows. This is a sign of God's favor. This is a a sign of God's blessing on your life. It's not a deserved blessing. It's a chosen blessing. God has chosen you. He's invited you to the table. He has a place set out for you. And here's what happens is at this table, at this table there may be enemies. There may be enemies that snarl, enemies who give you a dirty look, enemies who who don't believe in your potential, enemies who don't understand why God would favor you, enemies who who do not understand why God would give you another chance, enemies who think that you are not supposed to be at the table of the Lord. The Lord says, don't worry about them in the presence of your enemy. Enemies, I have a place at the table. I have a place that's always going to be there. I have a place set just for you because you have been chosen by me. You've been chosen to receive this overwhelming, unexpected, scandalous, controversial favor. That's what grace is called. Grace is something we don't earn, don't deserve. This grace is something that if people really knew who we were like and what we were like, they would say we're not qualified to be at the table. But the Lord says the table is open for you and you just don't have a casual seat. You you are an honored guest and I'm going to pour oil over your head and I'm going to give you an overflowing cup of wine. That's a sign of my abundance. All right. Hey, when I was when I was in college, I, I interned at, at a church, and I, I did a lot of, of the menial work, and which was fine. I was just glad to be there. Uh, I, I, I cleaned stuff and rearranged stuff, and if there was an errand that needed to be run, I did that kind of stuff, filled the pastor's car with gas, and uh, picked up people from the airport. There was another guy about my age who was also an intern, but he, he got to do more stuff than I got to do. Uh, he, he got to speak, you know, give announcements at the church. He got to go out to lunch with the staff. He got to be at the planning meetings and would be at the conference room at that table. And, and you know, it bothered me just a little bit, but it wasn't that big of a deal. I was like, why does he get all these opportunities? And I don't. So I asked someone one day, and they said, Aaron, let me just tell you what the deal is. Billy, we'll call him Billy, Billy actually already has a job here when he graduates, and you don't. (laughs) And so because of that, he has a future here, and you don't. Now, don't feel sorry for me. It all turned out good, right? All right? So this isn't group therapy here, all right? I don't don't need you to feel bad for me. It all worked out good. But because he had a future, he had a place at the table. Because he had a a, a, a future, he was invited, and he was supposed to be there. Here's the last thing I'm going to say is... 
I have a future with the Lord as my shepherd. I have a future. Psalm 23, 6 says this. We love these words. It feels good every time we read them. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, that phrase, all the days of my life, is literally talking about our earthly life. Surely, goodness and love will follow me in all the days that I live. And I'm going to be with God forever and ever and ever. This lets us know that when the table has been opened to us, God has a place for us, and he's not going to change his mind. We're not going to show up one day and God's not going to say, oh, I found someone more qualified. I found someone that I preferred more. There's not room for you at my table. There's not a place for you at my table. No, we're in covenant relationship with God. And when God sealed our salvation through what he did on the cross and through the resurrection, he said, you're always going to have a home with me. You're always going to have a place for me. It doesn't matter if you feel worthy. It doesn't matter if you've been worthy. It doesn't matter how you perceive yourself or how your enemies perceive you. Even in the presence of your enemies, I've got a place at the table and I have for you oil upon your head and I have an overflowing wine, abundance for you because this is the favor and the blessing of the Lord. And what this is, this is a foretaste of what's going to happen in heaven because in heaven someday we're going together with all of God's saints who have ever ever lived, who have known the ways of the Lord and the ways of his Messiah, Jesus. And we're going to go to a table where there will be no enemy. There will be no accusation against us. There will be no no stares and snarls from the other side of the table that we have to worry about. And there will be no weaknesses in us. We won't have to worry that our addictions or our bad habits or our poor choices or our bad attitudes are going to disqualify us from the table because we're going to be at a place where there is no sin. There is no injustice. There is no sorrow. There is no violence. There is no sexual oppression. There is no violence and war, nuclear weapons. There is no threat of evil happening in the world. The table of the Lord is open and that place is for you. Surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days that I live and it's a foretaste because I will live in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. And so it is that today we get a foretaste of what's going to happen in heaven. As in heaven, let it be on earth. Let your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And every time we have a little taste of God's glory and an experience of his shalom, his wholeness and peace, every time we experience the joy of community, every time we sense the anointing in our music and on the word of God, it's a foretaste of what God has promised in heaven. He is our shepherd. He is our host. He's protecting us. He's taking us through the valley and he's prepared a place for us to be with him forever and ever. God cares for us today because he will care for us in eternity. God protects us today for we will be in his safety forever. God corrects us today because we will be his possession forever. God gets us through the valley for we will ascend to the mountain of eternity with him. Amen? Let's stand together.